Welcome back, everybody, to a truly radical edition of the Rogue Retro Smackdown Review. And I think by the time you listen to this, we should be just about to round out 2020. And I thought, what better way to cap off the worst year in history by going back and remembering potentially one of the best years, if not the best year, in WWE history. And that's the year 2000. As we're here to look at the February 3rd edition of SmackDown. And joining me this week is my co-host, the guy who joined me last week. And we say the episode we did last week was maybe not the worst one we've ever done. So he's back again. One third of the trio that make up the worst wrestling podcast is Damien. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's uh, great to join you. It's good to have you back. Obviously, we thought a lot of really mixed bag of episodes last week, but there's a lot to talk about even more here because uh, a truly big like move talent-wise has just hit the WWF. Yeah, like this one has a lot more talent in my uh, in my opinion uh, than last week's show, and a lot more compelling uh, moments to it as well. This one was a lot easier to watch, <laughs> indeed. But we can't talk about SmackDown without first talking about Monday Night Raw, the thirty first of January edition. And uh, this opened with the a moment as recap the start of SmackDown. We had the tag team title match between Hedges and the New Age Outlaws. Right, I match also tries to pitch a few more ideas to Steve Blackman instead of no uh, he tries again to put on a, a raincoat and they can be called Snowstorm and then he pitches the idea of being called Snowballs uh, <laughs> and my big issue with the New Age Out was like, despite the fact they're now heels and part of the protecting the top heel in the company they still do their whole all oh, you didn't know stick and I think some smarts from the year 2000 are getting sick of that as well because I know it's some signs here so as a sign that says, oh, you didn't know you are heels sign. Uh, so as a, a couple of guys had a sign that said, uh, two words for you, new material. <laughs> See, I, I always popped. I was also like five, uh, five or six at this point. So I always popped for the, oh, you didn't know. Um and stuff like that, and I still do. If I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's let's do it. Like, I'm here for it. Let's go for that ride. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I remember I was actually, I've been able to do that live. Like, uh, cause like in 2013, when they came to the UK, randomly at a WrestleMania Revenge Tour house show, it was in, in Glasgow, it was Seamus and the New Age Outlaws versus The Shield. Like, the most random house show match I think I've ever witnessed live. Yeah. <laughs> and like, but then I got to do the whole oh you didn't know it's the only one and only thing I think I've ever got to do that be live to hear that so you know it's one, it's, it takes a difference when you're live but when I'm watching this on a weekly basis almost it gets a bit annoying and to, to kind of date like this episode someone had a cardboard cow of mini me from Austin Powers <laughs> I didn't. I, I normally I'm very attentive to who's in the audience and what I see in the audience. I missed that. Yeah, this is on on Raw, and I think the second Austin Powers movie where Mini Me's introduced came out in '99. So that's maybe that's considered a topical reference in 2000. Yeah, I guess it would be. Holy crap! Uh, but like. People don't really care about the HG versus the Outlaws because what really happened right before the match even started, Eric could get going. Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn uh, sat in the front row. They shook hands with Al Snow and then got into a bit of a brawl with uh, the Outlaws when Outlaws got when Road Dog got knocked into the front row. 
And JR kept using the word radical as if it was going out of style, like it's his new word of the day. Because just saying that all these these radicals, you know, they made a radical decision leaving their former employers. Uh, and basically, Road Dog shoves one of them, and then they all start beating the hell out of him. You know, gets a suplex from Star and followed by a frog splash from Eddie, and then they go into the ring and they beat up Road Dog. So they beat up Billy Gunn. He gets a diving headbutt from Chris Benoit. And then it's revealed that Cactus Jack is the guy that brought them in and he wants to help them get an opportunity. And the Mean Street Posse come out and like they, we get on their face like, hey, don't be messing with us. We're the Mean Street Posse. And so the radicals beat up them as well. And mm-hmm. then they all they all want contracts and Triple H refuses to sign them. He says, oh, you're not good enough. And so he forces them to leave and Cactus goes, we just made a big mistake. And Triple H was scheduled to face Kane and and Kane doesn't show up and JR like doesn't really oh Triple H knew Kane wouldn't show up, he's still heartbroken and all that. Like Triple H knew he he did so he didn't have to fight tonight. And like Triple H calls calls Kane a carry says like I think Xbox proved you can't hang with him and then Curtis Jack and the Radicals come out and they just help beat up Triple H as Raw goes off air. Hey, you know what? Triple H finally getting his comeuppance. Like <laughs> After seeing last week's episode and even tonight's episode for uh, SmackDown, gotta be honest, tired of seeing Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not tired of seeing Triple H, I'm just tired of hearing his theme song, but we argued about that last week. It's uh, a great theme song! It's a great theme song! Like, and like looking at the Radicals, basically like 2000, like young Eddie Guerrero, I don't know why. I kept looking at, I was just staring at Eddie Guerrero thinking, like, why do you remind me so much of Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian? Oh my god, he does. <laughs> I would have never put that together until you said something. He really does. Mm-hmm. And then and, I tried to, and I said, like, can I excuse a Radicals movie just so I can see Pedro Pascal playing Eddie Guerrero? <laughs> that, would I, be, that would be great. The, I could never... You can never get a project like that off the ground because there's no one weird looking enough to play Perry Saturn. No, no, there's really not. Like, Perry Saturn is a very unique looking man. Um, I will say, though, like, watching Eddie Guerrero, the mullet is out of style at this point, right? I think so, yeah. It's been out of style for a little while. Like, a couple of years, at least. Because, like, he is still rocking it, though. Yeah. You have a couple of people, like, a couple of refs at the Kenway 95 podcast we did, like, watching, like, had a bit of a mullet. Mike Yoda still has kind of a mullet. Well, yeah. Sometime, sometime around the end of the 90s, that bit out of style. But Eddie Guerrero, he's like, nah, still cool. You know, it works for me. <laughs> oh, man. This was a really good episode, though, to, to watch. I'm, I'm glad I was able to join in on this one because it was a pretty historic one. See, this episode of uh, of Raw is noteworthy for quite a few reasons. I don't think that'd be one of them, but that thing with the policy leads to another noteworthy moment that I'm going to mention here since it's relevant. The policy run into the Acolytes dressing room and say, like, oh, these guys, all these guys beat us up. There were like 10 of them. Like, there weren't, there were four of them. And, <laughs> and so they, like, they want help from the Acolytes, and so they offer to pay them for protection. And then Bradshaw is sitting there, like, light bulb above his head. He writes, gets a little makeshift sign. Hey, we can make money protecting people. Hey, I got a great day. The APA, Acolyte Protection Agency. And I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. All the, all the oh. moments are happening in this one episode of Raw. 
Oh, God. And now I have to go back and watch that episode of Raw because I loved the APA. The backstage mm-hmm. segments with the APA were peak Bradshaw and Farouk. Oh, my God, was it great. It, it's, it's the moment I've been waiting for for these two because just as the accolades themselves are pretty boring, as the APA, they're hella entertaining. And, like, Bradshaw forces them to, like, sit down and shut up while they finish their card game and to make sure no one messes with them. And then the Dudleys come in because the Dudleys had a bit of a running with Asian Christian and the Hardys earlier in the night. And so the Dudleys want protection. And then, and then so, to be the fact that I quite technically on heels, they help the Dudleys later on and they put Hardys and Asian Christian to tables because, like, well, they're being paid to protect the Dudleys, so they help them. So they're technically not heels, but they just, they're just doing it to get paid. <laughs> that explains the, the, the montage then uh, that we got on SmackDown because I was wondering why the APA was there. I was just like... Why is the APA sitting there, like, helping the Dudleys? I was very lost. And I guess this is that time, too, because we saw Viscera on last week's episode, and now we're going to get... Uh, we didn't get Viscera on this one, but this is that really weird moment between the Ministry of Darkness and when Taker returns as Biker Taker, and none of them really know what to do. Yeah. I mean, I didn't find his true calling as a, a McFoley person here because for a few weeks, when Mick Foley got fired, they had Indian dress up as Mankind so they could make fun of him. And he proved to be a much more entertaining highlight than you'd, than you'd expect him to. Now, see, I don't remember that. I just remember Midian from the Ministry and then um, fully exposed Midian. I mean, this, I mean, I take Midian Mankind over over Naked Midian any day, cause, like, especially because like, you had Midian as Mankind Walker in Universal Studios until he ran into the real mankind to beat the shit out of him. Oh, I need to go back and wa- You know what? I might have to start this journey with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the more the merrier along this journey. <laughs> <laughs> so, SmackDown, out comes Kenny uh, Chad's open show along with the Radicals. Obviously, a lot of people have talked about the, the circumstances when they left. You know, they tried to put the title on Ben White, stop him from leaving. But, you know, that they immediately vacated it. Like, I think they put the foot under the bottom rope when he tapped out in that match just so they had a contingency in case Benoit left. And mm-hmm. back in the day, a lot of people, like, a lot of people fans, a lot of fans of a certain generation would be like, oh, you know, they waited too long to put the belt on Benoit. Benoit should have been pushing back in the day. But from what I've heard, actually, at Uncensored was sold out, I think it is 2000. I never watched the Bayview. But apparently, the fans in the arena that night booed Benoit being said for the title. Really? Like, yeah. Uh, I never so see, I've never seen it either, because I'm not a WCW guy. I never was. Yeah. But that's intriguing to me. I, and I think it's also, the only thing I know about this pay-per-view is this is the pay-per-view where Bret Hart, leader of NWO 2000, was made to defend the title against Sid, and uh, NWO member Jeff Jack was made to defend the US title against Benoit. Both of them were injured, you know. Bret Hart had the injury that would eventually lead to the end of his career. And mm-hmm. so they just vacated the belt and had this match with Sid and Benoit, but Benoit wanted to leave, and then the whole conundrum over this. And also, like, oh, this same week that we're watching all this happen, do you know what's happening in WCW with that title? Uh, no. Oh, is this the David Arquette? No, this is not David Arquette, but it's like the beginning of a, a year of multiple title changes, because, like, at the same pay-per-view, uh, Kevin Nash beat Terry Fogg to earn the right to become commissioner of WCW. And so, 
Skivness makes a match with himself and the Harris brothers against Sid for the title, which Sid wins, pinning one of the Harris brothers. Uh, but then on Thunder, Skivness says, like, oh, you didn't pin the legal Harris brother, so I'm stripping you of the WCW title and awarding it to myself. And then later on that same episode of Thunder, Sid wins it back. Oh, my God. WCW was a shit show. <laughs> and yes, people, this was the right about the time Vince Russo was in control. Yeah, no, that explains it. I I don't know. Have you ever listened to um, like live audio wrestling or post wrestling or anything like that? I, I have not. No. Okay. Um, on live audio wrestling, which was like a Canadian thing, uh, they had this one podcast called Keep It Two Thousand, and it's all about two thousands era WCW, and it's highly entertaining. I mean, I commend those men for having were putting up with like constant two thousand WCW because like I had to watch one episode of WCW Nitro from two thousand as a punishment one time. <laughs> it was it was the episode where Russell won the belt and mm. it took me three attempts to watch one episode of Nitro. Yeah, no, I can I can believe it. I can believe oh. it. It was it was bad in two thousand. I mean I wasn't the biggest fan of WCW outside of their like cruiserweight stuff. Um that was about it. But yeah, they they were whew, not good. Oh yeah, actually, I tell I've seen a bit. another thing of two thousand. Again, this was a punishment podcast. You can see the see the pattern here. I'll only watch two thousand WCW if I'm forced to. But I watched uh, Starcade two thousand uh, as a punishment, and just oh god, you can see WCW's on its way. It's on its last legs. You're like the main event was Sid versus Scott Steiner. You had Hugh Morris or General Rexon or Bill DeMott. Where it was like my problem defending the US belly and Shane Douglas. Ah. Uh, I mean, there's a hell of a there's a great actual uh, three way like three team cruiserweight ladder match that opens the show. That's worth a watch. And that's is that the one? Um, is that the one with the uh, the dragons? Um, oh, three, three count, count. And who who was the third team? It was the courageous Evan Courageous and Jamie Noble who had basically left the the two teams that had that were also in this match and formed their own little team. And yeah. It's a yeah, tag I, match for a singles title shot, so if you get can get around that confusion, it's an actually enjoyable match. So you you mean almost like the singles triple threat match that ended up being a tag title match at WrestleMania this year? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I remembered because um, I used to get I used to have the ladder match DVD trilogy that WWE released, mm-hmm. and there was a triple threat tag ladder match between. Three count the dragons and and there was another team I can't remember it but that was a banger of a match too. And also on that card, the only other match I'd probably say was worth watching is uh, there's a match between Crowbar and Terry Funk uh, for the hardcore team. I mean, the, a few a few too many unprotected chair shots aside, it's an enjoyable match. And a sad fact there is that Terry Funk was on the first ever Starcade and now he's here on the last Starcade and like. I think it's a whole of a downgrade for Terry Funk wrestling a hardcore match in the last ever arcade, but they're the only two matches that show worth watching. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, I'll watch anything Terry Funk because, like, God, he's entertaining. I mean, you, you talk, we talked last week about you thought it was the people you thought were vastly underrated. Somebody I mentioned is vastly underrated, Bam Bam Bigelow, and he wrestled an absolute stinker of an ambulance match against Mike Awesome in that show. Oh, no. And actually, the one that you were talking about, that triple threat ladder match, it is who I thought it was. It was the three-count Jamie Noble Courageous and Jung Dragons. That great match. 
great match. But yeah, like so, WCW is a shit show. That's all really So these guys made a wise decision. They came over and God, fucking Mick Foley has got the shovel out and he's burying WCW in this promo. Mm-hmm. And somebody has a sign. Well, the last WCW employee, please remember to turn off the light on the way out. Oh God! There's there's a there's a Wrestling Observer subscriber if I've ever seen one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these guys got a good response on on Raw, and they got some good responses here. Like, there's even a mild Eddie chant at one point where he's just kind of chilling along the top rope, and like this is a very smarky promo. And the attitude there was known for the fact that it had a lot of casuals who really tuned in for this period. But as soon as wrestling stopped being cool, they left, and you you got those days. You're like, oh yeah, I used to watch back in, and they'll name this period. So some of these people probably don't know a lot about WCW, maybe, or just stick to strictly WWF. And so they don't know who the fuck these four guys are. Yeah. And they and they provided no information about them either. Mm-hmm. They just keep going like, oh, these guys are great, but they didn't get enough opportunity on WCW. They weren't old enough to be the main event. Like, again, half the time, I'm pretty sure some of the main eventers in WCW, like, they did this in the late 90s as well. Some of the guys they made fun of being old, a few years older than people like AJ Styles are now. Mm-hmm. Like Arn Anderson was having storylines with like Austin and Pillman saying, Oh, he's too old. He was in his mid thirties. He'd still be <laughs> in his thirties prime nowadays. He'd be on his next main event run by now. Right. Yeah, he'd be in his prime at this point. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, Arn would have went a lot longer than he did, but I think it was an injury that uh, eventually forced him out of the business. But Yeah, it like, was. It's a, it's a weird double set, especially nowadays we consider that you've given the Universal title to Goldberg twice. And he's older now than half the guys you you mocked back then up were then. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was uh, a different business though about twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. So then out comes Triple H, Steffi, along with the rest of the DX. They uh, off like basically again they're all asking for opportunities. Like all these guys ever wanted is a chance, and definitely basically calls them average. You know, setting a template for the B plus player storyline. I got to put Daniel Bryan through in about. 10, 20, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that she called Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, uh, and Chris Benoit average. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, that hurts. It, it's weird knowing that we know now. We know that Eddie and Benoit are going to be the two more successful members of the group. You know, they have that moment. I mean, at 20, with the two, they both hold the two like, major titles. One of but, the greatest uh, moments in wrestling. I, I will but, say that now. But coming into this, I think it was Richard that said that they had they had their eyes on two out of the four in particular that they thought could go really far. And back, knowing what we know, you think, oh, it was obviously Benoit Guerrero. I'm pretty sure Benoit was one of them, but I'm pretty sure the other was Perry Saturn. Yeah, because Perry Saturn had more of that WWF look at that time, like Jack to the Gills, kind of shaved head. Like he had that look. And then you have uh, him and Moppy in about a year. Do you know, fun fact here, the jobber that he sh- shot on, which caused them to get punished with a moppy gimmick, that same jobber is the guy that trains John Cena. No shit. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> no <Yeah>. wonder. <laughs> I really I really wish that they would have pushed Perry Saturn a lot more, though, too. Like, I, again, you talk about criminally underrated. Perry Saturn criminally underrated like a lot of people for he's like the he's the forgotten radical mm-hmm. yeah 100 uh weirdly 
I think out of all of them, he had been on Raw before because I think he was part of the original ECW invasion in '97. Him and Kronos came out. He and, like, was. I think remember. Yeah, he was. He was actually. I think him and I think Malenko was too at that point. I think he. I think he would have been WCW. But I think, like, because like I think people. I think he could be very little in WCW. Like, he was part of the flock. I think he's more known for ECW. Out of these four words, these two guys like, were in the cruiserweight division. Benoit was a member of the Horsemen for a while. Actually, Matt Winkle was as well. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget that. But so yeah, they call them average. They they basically make a, a couple of matches where they're gonna have Malenko versus X Pac, Outlaws v Guerrero and Saturn, and Triple H versus Benoit. And basically, you need to win two of those three matches in order to get a contract. Now. I just summed that up in about what, ten seconds. This promo took promo. forever. Oh god, so long. And I was watching it on. I was watching it on the network. It took twenty-one minutes. Oh, good. Again, much like the bots last week, you can't cut some of this down and post because, like, we've had matches where you can obviously tell a hard cut has been made somewhere in the editing, and like. And yet the editing does not happen where it needs to with with moments like this. Like, guys, like pick up the pace a little bit, you know. Good lord to me. This is this is a poor a poor habit that Triple H would get into and would suddenly get stuck into for the rest of his career. Yeah, like he overstays his welcome. Like it's not even like, oh hey, I'm being a heel. It's go away heat at that point. It's like just get off the fucking screen. Like we know- <laughs> We know where this is going, and uh, like tonight uh, in that very ring, uh, like what do you mean in that very ring? As opposed to what? How many other rings do you have in this building? Well, to be fair, this was the era of the hardcore title matches taking place <laughs> it, on a loading dock. Let's be real about that. Yeah, of course we can't forget that. But but uh, I'm the king of made. kings. Uh. The matches have been have been made. And now a major change to something that's not good about this time period. Let's go back to Raw for a second, because another noteworthy moment that happened uh, there, because we had a Lumberjill Snow Bunny match where the cat uh, defended the Women's Championship against Harvina Whippleman. And uh, they didn't see, see a lot of Harvina before she came out for the match. I, I say she very loosely, but he came out and basically, Joe uh, Laws said, I've heard, I've heard what this woman looks like. I'm, I'm sure she's got a great personality. <laughs> like, uh, had, all her commentary I- still not aging well. Yet Ivory and all the other women are in the outside, basically chucking snowballs at the one while they're trying to rest on this weird pit of snow. And uh, I think somebody grabs uh, somebody grabs a cat. I might have been Jacqueline, somebody, I can't remember who it was. But then Arvira was a roll up and like just pins Cat for the title. And then again, nobody questioned who this is before giving her a title. So, how does this happen? And then it's revealed to be Harvey Whippleman and Drag. Listen, uh, this it just does not age well. Like, it just doesn't. Uh, and then all the women just piled on him and attacked him afterwards. And we come to this segment on Raw. So backstage, the women are obviously very furious about this, and they're yelling at Patterson and Briscoe, who decide uh, we're going to draw straws, and whoever draws the short straw gets to face Harvina 
for the title or Harvey, wherever you feel. And Jacqueline draws the short straw and, and then that leads to a almost random brawl. Luna randomly hits Jacqueline with a chair. Millen and Millen may randomly attack Pat Patterson for some reason. Yeah, I had this written down as my notes as the weirdest women's brawl backstage of all time. <laughs> Cause like they didn't have any reason to be upset with each other. I know. Like she rightfully so be angry at Harvey and like you got you drew straws because that's somehow the fairest way to say this. And Jacqueline won. Yeah. Yeah, fine enough if you're angry at her, but like, wait till she won the title and then challenge her for it. Absolutely. And then Mae Young is at a random diner, which is like the quietest diner I've ever seen. There's no noise being made. Like It's just me and me and like Mark Henry sitting in this booth. And yeah. Mae Young is at the way, like she wants, she wants to face Harvey. So they're like, I can beat Harvey. We're back. I'm like, please, God, no. Because like, we already had Miller get a title reign for some reason in 99. Like, I don't need more old people winning titles in the WWF. To be fair, Mae Young would have given that title so much prestige at that point, and she would have just taken table bumps. <laughs> yeah. That would be buddy, Mae Young defending the women's title in a buddy's tables match. That's a women's revolution for you. Listen, she was ahead of her time. <laughs> <laughs> So Mark Henry says, I'm going to cheer up, you know, she shouldn't be wrestling your hair. She's your with child, as we met, we, we found out last week. And so this leads to, I'm just going to mention it all here, this leads to a weird collection of segments where Mark Henry brings gifts to me young. And I'm watching this, like, I'm, I'm trying to make notes. And after the second or third segment, I'm like, why am I bothering here? Like, yeah, these, these segments this? were the po- most pointless segments. You got our preparation H for some reason. You got a breast bump and all that other shit. Like, again, you kept running back and forth. Like, Mark, you get sweaty for the slightest physical exertion. We've seen your matches at the same period. Why didn't you just bring it all from the car at once? He, the suspense, man. Suspense was killing her. Literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, forget about Mark and Amy Young for now. Well, yeah, we're not going to talk about the rest of it. We just summed it up there. That's all you need to know. Uh, talking about championships, I'm trying to figure out how this is possible here. Gangrel failed to, ca- to catch the hardcore title last week on SmackDown. So, automatically, that makes him the front runner for an Intercontinental title shot. Yeah, well, you know what? It's because Gangrel is the greatest worker of all time. Greatest worker of all time. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, <I> think- but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, looking at my notes, that that, that uh, export match I got confused about last week that I didn't know if it was non-title or not. That was on the Raw before this. So Xbox beat uh, Xbox got a win over the Intercontinental Champion on Raw with the X Factor in a non-title match. But yeah, uh, Xbox a kind fell. He'll let Gangrel go first. You know what? He has to let Gangrel soften up Chris Jericho a little bit. <laughs> let the vampire do the dirty work. Obviously, <laughs> uh, China's out with Jericho. Luna is actually holding the back of her head when she comes out with Gangrel from that brawl earlier, so it's back continuity there. Uh, and so China is on the outside to make sure Luna doesn't get involved, and she uh, really actually does a, makes a difference. Gangrel gets sent over the top. His his shirt gets ripped in the middle. Gangrel showing a bit of skin during this match. Yeah, Gangrel uh, being a little bit a l- little bit uh, X-rated here, showing a little <laughs> bit of skin. 
Sunset, goes for a Sunset Flip, but it's carried Walter Jericho. Luna tries to clear from the top rope. I don't know what the hell she's going for. She would have got Gangrel to qualify, but she just pushes her. Uh, and Jericho, another quick title defense. You know, I know you're a fan of Gangrel, but I don't really have much to say about this. It was a quick match, and again, I'm still confused as to why Gangrel got this in the first place. Uh, I mean, listen, when you have such a groundbreaking performance as you have uh, by taking a pin off the loading dock, you obviously get an IC title shot. Um, I do like Gangrel. I thought this match was extremely sloppy on his part, though, especially that finishing walls of Jericho. Like, it just looked bad. Um, not much to really say about it. No, you're right. It, it was a match. It was here. Yeah. I, I like to think that somehow Luna convinced the match because they give Gangrel uh, too short because she feels bad for hitting him with a shovel last week. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I, want, I want that to be the revelation of how he got this. And I think yeah, I think the difference in how Gangrel was working compared to how Jericho was working. I think that uh, part of this is the reason why people like Gangrel slowly but surely got pushed down in favor of people like Jericho, Angle, and the Radicals who we talked about before. Yeah, I mean, I lo- like I love the character of Gangrel. He's not a great worker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a better manager than anything. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to admit that some of your favorites aren't uh, the best like workers. Like through the series, I've become a bigger fan of the Godfather, and I I acknowledge that this guy cannot work for shit. I mean, he has a few good moves. The whole train's a fun move and that, but he's not the best wrestler. But he's a hell of an entertaining character. Well, and the thing is, too, is that Godfather as, like, Kama Mustafa and, sh- and shit like that, like, he was good. It's just the mm-hmm. Godfather character itself didn't lend him to be a good in-ring worker. And um, I think that's where he kind of got screwed up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Halftime Heat last week and how they were hyping up with an interview with Austin. And on Raw, we got uh, some highlights of the interview with Austin. We got some more of them here on SmackDown. We got Austin... On it with a neck brace on, no chance to JR at his ranch with a giant deer head in the background. Uh, that is nothing new at my house. I have two of them in my living room. <laughs> uh, you know, Austin talking about basically, like, you know, he, shoot, he takes the neck brace off and show him whether they, they made the incision, talk about all the things they did and all that. And he, he promises me back. He goes, like, When can we see you back? Like, give me three to four months. Like, it's not going to be three to four months, I think. We see you in about three months for a one-off appearance, but you're going to a few more months, you know. You know Austin, if he could have helped, it would have been back in that amount of time, but obviously he was, a, he was in bad shape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he definitely needed that time off, and God, he, he earned it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the few weeks after he left, like, there were a message, they were talking about it and speculation of people being interviewed and speculation of who ran over Austin, but then they Realize we have to move on for a bit because we don't know when Austin's going to be back. Because like for a few weeks after he got run over, whenever there'd be a brawl, people would still chant Austin, like because like they were used to seeing people nearly get killed on a weekly basis, and could like separate when a guy legit needed to go away between when and what was a storyline. But eventually, people realized Austin's not coming back anytime soon, and so every now and then they're just teasing me like you know like Austin's going to be back, just not yet. Calm down, you're going to get him. Well, yeah, when you see somebody, uh, when you see Luna get powerbombed onto a uh, piano and then, you know, <laughs> Tess doing a diving elbow off of the loading dock, you know, you expect Austin back after getting hit by a car. 
Um, but yeah, like he he needed he needed this time away to recover, and uh, I know the fans weren't happy with it, but oh well. <laughs> and they also in the same episode of Raw, and it gets mentioned here very briefly, and so I'll just get this out of the way here. Lillian, shortly after the the halftime heat like replay on Raw, reported that she was at WF Note reporting that oh yeah, this coming Thursday, I heard there's going to be a big press conference here. All I can tell you is apparently it means it feature it concerns the WAF and Major League Football. And then I put in all caps, oh God, please not the XFL, please no. And it turns out, yes, that was the announcement because they mentioned later on, earlier on at WF New York, we announced the next season, the X, next year, the XFL. Yeah, the the first incarnation of the XFL was uh, was what it was. Um, the second incarnation, actually, I was a big fan of. Um, I enjoyed it. But uh, because of COVID, it got kind of shut down, and now The Rock owns it. <laughs> you know, The Rock's looking to use this inspiration for the next season of Ballers, if that's still running. I don't know if that's still a thing. Um, uh, yep. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. My brother I have watched no idea. I've never watched an episode. Either that or Ballers is finished, and he got, he's so used to being around pretend football players, and he actually wants to work with real football players. <laughs> Well, he said that he wants to actually bring it back as an actual football league, so we'll see. You know, I, I was hearing good things about the, uh, the, the like, the film. Well, the thing that made me laugh is just, like, how over-the-top and, like, very WWE-esque the names of some of the teams were. Yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. But I did have a favorite team. I don't remember it anymore, but I did have one. <laughs> uh, we have this, and then... Radicals are backstage. They're giving encouragement to Dean Malenko right before his match with X-Pac. Uh, I think it's just a good combination. you got Malenko, you know, a man of a thousand holes, the guy who is really when the Cruiserweight division kicked off, he was the guy for that first year or so along with likes of Rey Studio and that, you know, and X-Pac, the guy who was used to kind of help get guys coming into the WF from other promotions used to the WF style. And if, like, if you could work with X-Pac, you could work with anybody. So I think that gave you like, the ingredients for a really good like work rate match. Yeah, and I was really hoping that this was going to go longer than it did. Um, and then, <laughs> silly me, this is two thousands WWE. We don't we don't have anything over five minutes here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, like the one, the only bad thing I can really say about this match is that it should have went longer because this is a hell of a match of very technical. You know, you got headlocks from Dean Malenko, you got dragon screw, but you know, I don't like the fact that Xbox got hit with a dragon screw. Which is usually a very good move that sets up for like a submission. I thought go right back up. Yeah, this was very much a reminiscent of like mid nineties New Japan. I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of style, but like yeah. the early to mid nineties New Japan, like when Hogan faced Keiji Muto, and they were just like no selling everything. Like, yeah, I get you. Like X goes for the X Factor, gets carrying out a Texas cold bleach, but he taps out, but the ref isn't looking because the like, Tories distract him. And then also he gets a low blow on X Factor. And while I would have preferred Dean Malenko to win, I think I get what they were going for here because I think they wanted to like start the radicals off on uh, like a one like nil advantage disadvantage. The idea like they're desperate to like earn these contracts. I just these have ever thirty about the way that X Pac kind of won. And also, I didn't like Demolite. I didn't like Jerry Lawler on commentary. Kind of like very, very nonchalant. Very, I know he's maybe he was staying with Triple H and Stephanie, but the way he really went in on the radicals here, like especially like when 
when Michael goes trying to put them over and talk about the things they accomplished and like and J Law just keep yelling really like who cares? Who cares? Like Triple H and Seven said they're average, so they're average and they're like really showing it like Jesus, like we're getting mixed messages here. Do you want us to like these guys or not? Yeah, I, that was at the point when like there was a lot of miscommunication on what they were aiming for with the commentary teams and stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, Lawler's doing the best that Lawler can do. And mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of his commentary uh, going back. But, I mean, it's there for a reason. And he plays the role well. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do that without burying the talent, which is kind of what he did. Um I really did enjoy this match, though. I I was really hoping that Dean. Mal- I was really hoping that they'd give a win to one of the teams, but and this would be the one that they should have won, in my opinion. Um, just because X Pac doesn't have a title. <laughs> yeah, I I think they were actually meant to win the next one, and because like especially when you look at the finish of it. But we'll get to that a little later on. But I think there was a plan for them to win at least one of these matches. But yeah, Xbox, Xbox post match does more for Demolenko to put him over than anything the commentators did because Xbox tries to make out that see I didn't even break a sweat I'm not even tired I beat him easily but he's saying it, he's like <sighs> he's blowing up he's clearly like like he's obviously Demolenko's obviously been a much harder opponent for him than he let on but despite it being a short match and despite him getting the win by the means that he did Xbox still had to work for his win because of how yeah. good Demolenko is yeah absolutely I agree. And then in comes the big show. Oh, I mean, it's the yeah, big show on Raw. Brought out uh, a security guard. Uh, I think it was Jim Dawson, their head of security for the WF at that time, who said that from where he was standing, it looked like the rock's feet touched the, the mat. So despite saying that he wanted an eyewitness, uh, like, Triple H went, I can't go off on his word. You know, it's just one guy, you know. Maybe he gave me some video proof or something like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, giving big show the runaround. And I think, I think it was on Raw. Yeah, Big Show basically destroyed Too Cool in a two-on-one handicap match. For <laughs> 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 <Fair> a <laughs> And Big Show comes in with video proof, and it quickly shows you yeah, Rock's feet did touch, and DX are legit shot. Like, I think they were like, wait, wait, he actually did touch? Like, oh, God, this guy was telling me to I guess we had to give him, give him the match then. And so uh, they say, okay, this match is going to happen at No Way Out. Yeah, so Big Show gets his wish. Um, he's still not sure if he's a babyface or a heel. Um, oh, he's a heel, but he thinks he thinks he's a face, but he's certainly a heel. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he's not sure what he is. Uh, we know what he is uh, for this week, anyway. Stay tuned for next week. It could be different. <laughs> Who knows? That's that's what we turn for on these shows to see what is the Big Show this week. <laughs> that should be like a little sounder that you have when he first makes his appearance on the show. <laughs> Just like a little sounder of what is the big show this week? <laughs> like a like a star of a children's TV program. Like who do we have joining us this week? Children, look look behind the mystery curtain. Hey, look! It's Babyface Big Show this week. Come on down. Or like, oh no, children! The big show is a heel today. Oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> uh, but next up, we have Jacqueline versus Harvey Wolfman for the women's championship. Harvey Wolfman doesn't even bother coming out and drag this time. He comes out with the belt. Uh, 
and then he flies off women, as I put it here. He says how he's all mad and all that. I don't know what they were thinking. I came up with a three just then off the top of my head, and I could be talking absolute shit for all I know. But the year before, the Man on the Moon came out, the film with Andy Kaufman. And uh, a lot of people probably remember Andy Kaufman being the intergender champion or whatever it was. We would fight women. And that he got a lot of heat where he kind of blurred the lines between reality and kayfabe and did the feud with Lawler. Maybe they were trying to do an Andy Kaufman thing with Whippleman and it failed spectacularly. I don't know. I could just, it could be a thing like, they'd be like, ah, oh, you know what would be funny? Let's give a man the woman's title, you know? Yeah, like, it's hard to say. WWE was very controversial at this time. I mean, Jerry Lawler just talking about puppies all the time with Tori in particular, but. Uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it did not age well. A lot of this show does not age well. <laughs> yeah. Jacqueline, it seems a weird choice at this point to face him and potentially be a women's champion, but we'll forget, I think she was the first person to hold that belt when they brought it back in 98, because they didn't want to give it to Sable right away, and so Hard and Sable was the first proper feed of this belt coming back. But then ever since the feed with Sable, she's really been a non-entity. Uh, so it was nice to get her see her get this moment and she actually she batters Harvey Wolfman she spears on punches and then she says like showed how weak uh, our woman is just like the lightest elbow just like standing elbow drop pins him Jacqueline's the women's champion yeah so uh, you are correct uh, she was the first person to hold it um, in 98 she defeated Sable uh, mm-hmm. to win it, and then Sable beat her for it, and then it kind of went back and forth. Oh, hey, there's the fabulous Moolah that you were talking about. Okay. And then, at that time, Deborah won it, even though she had lost an evening care match, but, but Shawn Michaels decided she's got a better body, a bigger tit, so Deborah's the women's champion. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking about during this time, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is before Sean found Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is definitely way before Sean Fearing Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, good for Jacqueline, I guess. Yeah, good for her, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> so up next, The Rock is being interviewed by Kevin Kelly. It's so weird to see Kevin Kelly in this case, because I, I watch like, current day New Japan for a, a podcast over on ESSR, and so I'm so used to thinking, of, I'm just in the mind of Kevin Kelly is the New Japan guy, and then seeing young Kevin Kelly with The Rock here. And he basically, he, asked, he goes to ask him about the match at Big Show and everything, and he, Rock recommends that Kevin Kelly take a small glass of shut-up juice, and then basically just guarantees he's going on to WrestleMania. Yeah, um, yeah, it was weird seeing Kevin Kelly here. I love Kevin Kelly, though, on commentary for New Japan. One of my favorite, like, one of my favorite things about New Japan right now, which... It's very few and far between as of late, so it's definitely nice to see uh, Kevin Kelly back in the WWF uh, on these shows, and The Rock just being The Rock. <laughs> always, always here for that. Yeah, and then we get what I think is the most WWE Universe mode match you'll ever see. Like a match you throw together on one of the early SmackDown games or on No Mercy. Well, not No Mercy because Taz wouldn't have been in it, but one of the early SmackDown games. The Rock versus Taz versus Kurt Angle. Yeah, I, I was I was shocked by it, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I believe they were in Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, for Raw, which is where Angle is from. So mm-hmm. he comes out, he gets booed in his hometown, and he yells, like, why are you booing me, you know? And then he walks the rock, I go, finally, 
the Olympic hero has come back to his hometown and I'll place a bunch of uh, your local sports team references that a British fan like myself wouldn't understand. <laughs> also, by the way, big show uh, on Raw, by the way, uh, you've noticed, you may notice that on SmackDown, got a haircut, he's got weird short hair and a weird thin moustache, he got, like he was on here on SmackDown, he got called Freddie Mercury by Triple H. <laughs> yeah, I saw, the, I saw the big show's weird hair and I was just like, this is new, this is odd. <laughs> Yeah, because the rock takes the piss out of him. He's like, somebody got a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rock had a match with Kurt Angle on on, on Raw, where he says he's going to get a big gold medal and kicking Angle's ass. And like Daz does get involved, getting involved in the match. Uh, Angle does get on the mic when he's annoyed at the fans. Boom! Like, why are you booing me? I was born here. I was born ten minutes down the road in so and so hospital. Rock grabs the microphone. It doesn't matter where you were born. <laughs> Rock does pin your angle cleanly, so technically this is Angle's first like first angle's first clean pin loss. Like he's lost tie matches never, but he didn't get be the person to get pinned. He got choked out by Taz, but he disputed that that was it, so he got a proper clean loss against the Rock. Taz comes out, he continues staying with Angle and accidentally knocks into the Rock, so that's basically how we got this match. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we have this match. Uh, again, like I said, a, such a WWE Universe mode kind of match. Angle and Taz are going at it before The Rock even comes out, uh, which The Rock was known for doing, like, taking his time and multi man matches to come out. Uh, they, they, go, they go all over the place. They even go in the barricades and into the crowd. And at one point, Taz and Angle worked together very briefly. But then... Uh, the Rock, it's like the Rock. The way, at the end of the match, Rock suddenly seems to power up and just handle both guys like so easily. Yeah, they they definitely made Rock look really, really, really strong in the middle of this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Angle gets squatted in the Taz mission, but Rock like breaks it up. It's, hits both men with Rock bombs. He goes for, like for a double. Uh, feels a little bit big. Show interferes. He pulls the Rock to the outside. It's a choke slam on the outside. Which sees Angle and Taz in the middle, and Angle just slowly rolls over and happens to get his arm on Taz, and the referee counts three. Uh, I know I'm nitpicking it, it's unlikely this would happen to give Taz such a win like this, but could you not have had Taz be the one to get his arm, like, like Angle, or Angle goes to roll and Taz manages to get the Taz mission on him again? Like, imagine like the idea that Taz is in a match with the Rocking Angle at this point, and like the idea if he managed, even if it was, looked lucky. The fact that he got the win in a match this, this stage and he's like so early in his WF run would have been so cool for him. Uh, but I get why they did the thing with Angle because they got plans for him and like he technically stole it, he didn't earn the win. He just happened to get his arm on Taz at the right moment. Yeah, and like the other thing too is like, okay, so you have Big Show come out and decimate The Rock. Why not have Angle pin The Rock and then Taz doesn't take the pin? The, uh, the booking of Taz in WWF is so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. Yeah, totally. Uh, so then we have the second and our three Radicals matches. Also, I think this is a very early version of the Radicals theme music they're going to end up using. But it's so quiet when it kicks in. So it takes a while to kick in. And so it sounds like such generic shit that these guys yes. need to walk out to. Like, this is the kind of shit you give your basic creator wrestler. And even then, I think it's too good for them. 
Yeah, like they they definitely never gave them the proper the proper treatment in the theme song division. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was first. I was a bit annoyed because like at first uh, it was quite dominant. Like Billy Gunn especially handled both of them quite easily. I think it's a point where like Eddie goes for a drop kick and uh, Billy Gunn does a Samoa Joe and just steps aside and steps out of the way. And uh, I just didn't like the way they were doing this. Like when when Road Dog came in, they basically started working him over. You know they. Started working him over and the arm hit a cross body. Like, well, Red Dog goes for a cross body, but Perry Saturn manages to count around to the rings of Saturn. Dear uh, Love goes really in on Perry Saturn on his appearance. Eddie gets out with a famous turn, a jackhammer, but kicks out. Uh, I think there's a bit of a rush fix. I think Eddie and Saturn were meant to win here. But Eddie goes for the frog splash and legit, like, I think dislocates his elbow or really injures his arm here. Yeah. It looked it looked gross. Mm-hmm. Especially so, because then King like, eventually has to change his tone at the end of the match when they reach the replay. Because he was like, "Oh shit, this guy's legit hurt. I need to like like stop joking for a second. Mm-hmm. And then like, Sarah Sartan, it's Billy Gunn and Eddie that are legal. Sarah Sartan and Billy Gunn brought it outside. Road Dog sneaks in and pins Eddie to beat not being legal, which to me screams, "Fuck Eddie, sir! Let's just rush the finish. Have outlaws go over. We'll figure something later." Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and even looking on like Wikipedia, they're not telling me exactly what the injury was, so I assume it is just him dislocating his elbow. But it looked gross as hell, and they just had to cover their tracks at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eddie, I think I do remember the same Eddie coming out with the Radicals wearing a sling, so this explains that. Uh, there is a, a six man tie that the Radicals are, and I think it's the other week except Eddie. There is also Eddie until at least just after. No way out. Eddie will be in a sling. He does get a match at WrestleMania as part of the Radicals, so he's not out of action for too long, but yeah, it does look nasty. Uh, but, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag because like, it seemed like when Billy Gunn was in the ring, the guys got kind of dominated, whereas like they got easily manhandled road dogs. So basically, like, oh, it's kind of a similar attitude to like WCW. Like, These guys are small, but look at Billy Gunn. He's tall. Yeah, and I don't like Billy Gunn's jackhammer. This is the second time I've seen it. It's ugly as hell. It just looks like a Falcon's arrow, which, if that's the case, just do it the Falcon's arrow. <laughs> I think they're just using it as a way to get a mock Goldberg. I think just, that's why they just gave him it. Uh, backstage, Triple H decides, you know what, fuck, I'm going to face down what anyway. Because I think maybe he was, they were supposed to have like, at least one more match, probably this one, and then like have the tiebreaker with Triple H with Benoit. And say, like, yeah. oh, we've already picked our main event here. What are we going to do? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It, it definitely was a rush job for sure. Yeah, and, and it sucks that it's had to happen. Like, in Eddie's, basically in Eddie's first match, because, like, Eddie seemed to favor his arm after his frog splash on Raw. I thought, was this where he injures it? But then he rests the match. And then as soon as that happened, you realize, like, oh, God. Yeah, because you kind of see it, too. Like, you see the injury, and it's. Hmm. But uh, they go into a weird tonal shift where Blackman is backstage with Al Snow and he's like, hey, we technically won that match by DQ or something like that. He goes, you said if we beat the Outlaws, you'd do it. And so the Blackman is forced to wear a giant cheese hat to the ring for a head cheese match against the Hollies. Yeah, this is where I was like, okay, this has definitely run its course now. <laughs> oh, you think it's run its course now? Jesus Christ, this is going to go on for a couple of months. I know. 
<laughs> Maybe it's best you're getting off at this stop, but I've got to keep this train going all the way. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I liked, I like this pairing, and I like the comedy of it. But I was just like, okay, yep, nope. We need to get away from this head cheese thing. I, I just was not a fan of it. Uh, I didn't like that. Also, like the fact that Al Snow and Jerry Law kept using the word gimmick. They go, oh, you know, he's trying to help help people uh, out. He needs a gimmick. Back when he needs a gimmick to get over here in the WWE. Like, stop seeing gimmicks. Stop trying to be so insider and shit. Because like, yeah. W was bad enough for that in 2000 without you guys doing it as well. Yeah, it definitely did not come across well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just distract. They do wrestle like a heel team still, even though the fans love them. Cause, like, they cause the thing where they cause Harker to come in just so they can distract the ref and beat up Crash a wee bit. And like Crash gets dropped right across the steps by Blackman. And like they uh, go for the, goes for the snowplow. Uh, it goes for a roll up. Uh, I believe like Crash tries to help uh, Hardcore get a pin position, but Al rolls through and pins Hardcore. Technically, Crash cost Holly and his team the match. Yeah, which is a, a particularly creative like thing. Like goes for the snowplow. Uh, Crash hits a drop kick. Al Hardcore falls on Al, but Al manages to use that momentum to roll through and pin Hardcore. And crashes the other next day before realizing it turned like, like, oh god, we fucked up. And but like it's like it's more creative than this match deserved. Yeah, this match did not need all of that creativeness. I appreciate them doing it, but it, they definitely did not need it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm skipping over our Mark Henry Young seven since we uh, already covered that. And yeah, so- we don't need that. <laughs> And so uh, we went from one team of super heavyweights in the Hollies to uh, some legit super heavyweights. So we've got the Big Show versus Rikisha, which uh, I don't get a lie. When I seen this advertised, I thought I'm actually looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, and then uh, we got 2000 WWE booking. <laughs> like I mentioned, like two poor Tokyo got like battered by the Big Show on on Raw, and then they come out with Rikisha, but Rikisha sends them to the back. I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, Rikishi actually hits, not only hits one draw, but managed to an arm drag on the Big Show. Yeah, and he had a nice Samoan drop too. And then, like, Big Show hit, like, a side, like, super kick kind of thing. I was mm-hmm. just like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, he hits a chokeslam on uh, Rikishi. And, like, this is the prime era for Big Show chokeslam. Like, where he holds them there and just comes down with them. But it's mm-hmm. still only a two count. He grabs a, a chair, but uh, she kicks it in his face, which somehow isn't a DQ. But then there's a chair shot to the head. That's a DQ. Too cool. Come back out again. More chokes glance for a bastard. And then Rock comes out to hit a rock bottom on Big Show. Hey, good looking rock bottom. Everything else? Nah. Yeah. Th- <laughs> yeah, thankfully, he learned from last week. He managed to get Big Show up this time and didn't have the same mistakes as he had with Rikisha last week. Yeah, there you go. Get that count right. Mhm. Uh, this is like all setting up because, like, you got the radicals involved. You got Triple H and Rikishi and Tuko. This is all leading to, without spoiling anything too much, that uh, on the next episode of, of Raw we have a big like ten man tag match, which is actually considered one of the better, one of the best Raw main events of all time. I don't think it's talked as much because I think it involves Benoit, and obviously a lot of things involved Benoit aren't talked about as much. Mhm. I mean, it's a big yeah. post. There's a big post-match thing as well on that, uh, on that episode that I think people talk about a bit more, but again, I don't want to spoil anything 
for a thing that happened like 20 years ago, but still try to keep, you know, some illusion alive where people go and watch this week to week. Kayfabe, brother. Yeah, kayfabe, brother. <laughs> yeah, it keeps like too cool and Kishi on there, big like push keeping them in the mix with the top guys, and also helps for the rocks thing with Big Show going into no way out. So it accomplished what it needs to. Yeah, and that's the one thing is like as long as things accomplish what they need to and they further the storyline in a productive way, then you're good. It's just like there's a lot of times where it doesn't. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have our main event between Triple H and Chris Benoit. Uh, these two will have a, like, a pay-per-view match at No Mercy later on this year. Uh, I don't think I've actually ever seen that match, but I've heard it's good. I do remember 2004, that being a big year for me watching wrestling. And mm-hmm. I remember there was over the World Heavyweight title, the Iron Man match on an episode of Raw. Uh, they had a match at Vengeance before and that. So I remember these guys having great matches. This uh, match is good, but I'm watching the thing like, I was excited seeing it because I have fond memories of these two wrestling, but I describe this as, this is good but they will go on to have better. Yeah, I mean, you say good. I was kind of bored, to be honest. Mm. I was very bored with this match. Mm. I, I mean, it was a show just to tell you, like, the fans kind of checked out the match because they were so interested in chatting slut and she's a crack whore at Stephanie. Is that mm. right? Yeah, again, things that don't age well for a thousand, Alex Trebek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Stephanie, oh, sorry, the fans are don't help themselves, especially like watching stuff like some of the signs that you see, and uh, especially like maybe or more so in like nine nine nine, you see a bunch of like homophobic slurs, like somebody had a sign saying so and so is a homo. That was a common mm-hmm. sign. Uh, their word does not age well, and you know, uh, but you know, I get maybe you can try and say, oh, she's a heel, though she's getting heat, but like she's a crack whore. I mean, come on, people have some decorum. I mean, hey, at this point in time, that was that was the thing. Like, I don't know. Freaking yeah. Detroit, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Triple H immediately goes to the outside after Benoit tries to get uh, the crossface and There's a really big exchange of like forearms and then Benoit hitting a shot. Like Benoit hits a wicked shot. Uh, but then on the outside, Triple H sends him Benoit into the steel steps and tries to swing the balance to control in his favour. Then Benoit actually spanned like three German suplexes. Uh, referee obviously seems to be a commonality like in Triple H matches, especially even if it's just a TV match, referee gets taken out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Triple H, so Triple H taps out and so they like, say, oh, Benoit made Triple H tap it, but the ref didn't see it. Uh, so then Benoit goes, hits the diving headbutt and Triple H kicks out of it, but then he hits the most deadly move in all of wrestling, the pedigree. No one kicks out of the pedigree. No, never. No. Never kicked out of the pedigree. And so the rest, the, I almost said the rascals, uh, the radicals, <laughs> uh, lost all three of their matches. Uh, Triple H stands tall again. So two spiders in a row, the seals stand tall. Cactus Jack did nothing to help any of the uh, radicals. Like, I think they told them not to get involved. Uh, like the Triple H not told not to get involved. He said, "Like I will be backstage watching, make sure any of your DX cohorts get involved, and if they get involved, then I'll have to get involved." And then none of DX got involved, so all DX managed to win their matches seemingly easily, or through some like form of cheating. And Cactus Jack, for the second week in a row, does nothing as the heel stand tall. Yeah, Cactus Jack, bad friend. 
background. I think they'll explain that, plus these losses will explain a, a major thing storyline-wise that happens with the radicals that develops going forward. Again, gave April, I don't want to spoil it, but I think in the longer term you get why it happened, but just as a, as a standalone thing, it's kind of like, well, that was uh, underwhelming. Yeah, and especially because we know Cactus is there. Like, how do you not have him come out? Yeah, it's, it's, you're, we know you're there. Like, again, like we know you're meant to keep this thing with Triple H going, but you're not really doing anything. You're just like, oh, here's these, here's some guys I know. They wrestled for WCW. Boo. But they're my friends, and now they're coming to the company. But then they got beat by the heels. Ah, oh, okay then. Yeah, this episode, while it was good, in my opinion, um, did nothing to help the Radicals get over. <laughs> yeah, because like... Or Taz. Yeah, I thought, I thought about like, how they seemingly had big things in plan, especially for Ben and Saturn. They didn't really show it here. They didn't show any signs of that. Yeah, they, uh, they didn't show any signs, really, of any of them being high priorities, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's bizarre because, like, the raw moment still feels like a big deal when you watch it back. And actually, as we talk about it more, especially from a radical standpoint, the raw before this was seemingly better than this episode of SmackDown in certain ways. Well, and that's one thing too is like the WWF at this point had a really good had a really good time of uh, booking themselves greatly on Raw and then failing on SmackDown. Which is uh, definitely a trend that still lives on today. And I, I like, like I've noticed a real up change in quality. Like, of course, Raw inside is two thousand as as came in because like late ninety nine was a real struggle for me, and then two thousand both shows have been great. But then this week here we had a great episode of Raw, and I got a meh SmackDown. But I'm I'm sure it was like it was the improve in the next couple of weeks. You know that episode of Raw I mentioned's got one that both. Like one of the best like booked main events, and then obviously the follow that on the next week's SmackDown. So uh, I'm shitting on this episode about it, but I'm sure it'll get better as the year goes on. But like I'll still recommend people if you haven't seen it, the Raw before this, where the Raggles debuted and the APA officially happened. You know, go check that out. It's worth a watch. Even the, even with that shitty nobody might see. Maybe skip that. <laughs> yeah, definitely skip that. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely skip that. <laughs> But, you know, we've kind of shit on a bit, uh, especially that last bit, especially when it comes to radicals. I think, for me, that kind of has to give us a thumbs-in-the-middle rating. Uh, would you agree with that, or what would your rating be for this? Yeah, I think I think the 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 way the radicals were booked definitely makes it a thumb-in-the-middle. Um, good, It was a good show, just mm-hmm. it didn't really help. It didn't help anybody outside of DX. Yeah, I think they had, like, I think it's five weeks between... Uh, Rumble and No Way Out, and so there are some ways where you think, like, oh, this looks shit now, but next week it'll make sense as to why this or there's something new that kind of makes you think, oh, that's good that they did that for somebody because that actually makes them look good. So I think this is a week where they're ticking over the radicals before they actually did something proper with them on Raw the next week. But, yeah, you know, like said, as a standalone thing, it's pretty shitty. Yeah, I, I agree. But, like, that aside, I think there are a lot of, there are some good things to this that. We're, we're not like, mentioning, so if you had to like think of one thing to tell Google go back and watch from this episode, what would it be? Well, I can tell you one thing it would not be, and that's that opening promo. Oh, um, yeah. 
It's such a long promo. Uh, one thing to go back and watch. Uh, I enjoyed X-Pac and Dean Malenko. I thought that that was really good. Really bad finish, but I thought it was really good. Um, that would be my one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I do. Like, Yeah, it's a bit short, but it's still a solid like, work rate match for what it is. And mm, maybe, I, I don't know if it's a triple threat, maybe, or I don't know about that, but Maybe actually even Big Show be Rikishi for what it was. It's a good match between two big guys, even though they do go to... Big Show does go to the, using a chair and getting DQ'd very quickly for me. But it's still a fun, like, big man match. So that and the Dean Malenko thing, yeah. I think they're the two big highlights, you know, to work about. Definitely the Benko match is the best of the three Radicals VTX matches that we get. Yeah, I agree. And so we come to an end to a not-so-radical smackdown. Uh, and Damien, uh, thank you for joining me for the second week in a row. Uh, I'm going to have a new co-host for the next couple of episodes, but it was still fun having you along with me. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad that you had me on. I had a lot of fun. This was this was definitely a nice nostalgic run down memory <laughs> lane. Well, I'm glad I could uh, allow you to have that. And uh, for people who maybe somehow missed last week or for people in the back who didn't quite hear remind them uh, what you've got going on what your plugs are yeah uh you can follow me on twitter at damien underscore miller that's d-a-m-i-a-n underscore miller m-i-l-l-e-r uh follow me on twitter for me to yell about the philadelphia eagles american football team and talk a whole bunch of wrestling as well as some other weird stuff that i find uh, as I peruse the Twitterverse. You can also find my podcast on any streaming platform. It is the worst wrestling podcast. Uh, it is me and my two other co-hosts, Justin and Brad, the three-man power trip. Uh, this last week, uh, as you're hearing this, we released our best of 2020 episode. So make sure you check that out. And we will be back at the beginning of the year. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks off just so that way we can enjoy the holidays with our families. But hopefully we'll be talking a lot of Wrestle Kingdom 15 from the Tokyo Dome. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at scumcloud1986. Follow Rogue Pines at Rogue underscore Pines. Hopefully by taking us this, uh, some new points that me and Jimmy are soon get, me, Jimmy and Nathan are get, soon getting together to do uh, for the end of the year. Hopefully I've been out or about to come out when you're listening to this. Uh, check out uh, Sleep Suplex Retreats and stuff I've got going on over there at Suplex Retreat on Twitter uh, a show if you're into the New Japan me and my friend me and uh, Graham McRobbie over there we do a show called East Meets West the monthly New Japan show a couple weeks ago we did our wrap up of everything going on with the tournaments of like Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League and hopefully by the time you listen to this that we're just about to release uh, Wrestle Kingdom preview and predictions episode and then obviously at some point in January we'll have an episode where we talk about Wrestle Kingdom because you know this is that prime time of year for New Japan yeah it absolutely is it's a great time of year for New Japan and uh, I cannot wait uh, give me give me a little bit of a teaser who do you have walking away with the double championships by the end of the weekend oh. that's the thing like, I know who I want to win the match on night two. I want Jay White to walk out on night two with both belts, but like it's weird that I can, it's harder for me to call the night one match because I don't know which of the two I want to see go through. Because like, yeah, maybe it'd be a nice, a nice heat wise if he beat Jay White, but if he beat Naito, because like I don't know if I want 
I'd like to see a bit of the belts, but I don't know if I want to see him hold them for like one day. But I want Jay White to walk out the whole weekend with the belts, no matter who it is that goes through. I think I think this is the story of Abushi, and I think Abushi walks out of night two as the double champion. We'll just have to uh, wait and see, won't we? We will absolutely. That's a nice little teaser for for his uh, for his podcast uh, with the predictions and the results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing on the line. We just like to give our opinions because, like, and and our own our own minds, our opinions matter somehow. Yeah, you know that's what Twitter. Uh, that's the that's the power that Twitter gave us. <laughs> Before we suddenly the SmackDown pod turns into a New Japan pod, we'll uh, I'll just say thank you to Dave one more time and bid you all adieu. Goodbye.